If you're a lover of vampire folklore but can't stand that sparkling teen romance bullshit in Top Twilight, your version of unwinding at the end of the day is to enjoy some questionably reduced price sushi and discuss Irish seal ladies with the love of your life, then you're in the right place. This is Strange Shenanigans. I'm Ashley. And I'm Stan. I feel like you just took a stab at our local grocery store there. Well, I mean, we did just buy sushi that was uh, at, what, 8.30 at night. It's not the right sell date. I think we got a day or two to spare, man. I don't think you get days or two to spare (laughs) on sushi. (laughs) What are you talking about today, Ashley? Uh, I'm talking about selling your soul to the devil. Ooh. (laughs) (laughs) Pleasant stuff. Yeah. Yeah, some happy stuff. I've got lots of stories today, and I don't know. Maybe our listeners can determine if they want to do the same thing or not. <laughs> if it's worth the downside. So I want you to make a healthy and informed choice. <laughs> and I'm going to just give you the tools for you to make that choice for yourself. What are you kicking us off with? I'm going to start with uh, the uh, werewolves of North America. We have werewolves. We have folklore of uh, werewolves. We it's, don't. it's not Jimothy? No, it's not Jimothy the dog. She <laughs> does look like a werewolf, but she'd be a pretty pathetic little werewolf. <laughs> you can see Jimothy on TikTok or Instagram if you're interested. <laughs> There's my little plug-in for my dog. <laughs> Her dog has a TikTok account. <laughs> a young man lies in his bed, restlessly unable to sleep, caught in fitful thoughts. He told his mother that he had gone to confession but in truth he had spent the day down by the water catching frogs with his friends he had not honored his mother by being dishonest not just breaking the rule of man but breaking one of god's commandments just as he was thinking of it something moved past his moonlit bedroom window he couldn't bring himself to move what stirred in the night moved closer and closer to his window he heard the deep animal panting he could not pry his little eyes away from the matted fur-covered face of the beast that came into view It looked straight at him with its glowing eyes. The boy tried to shriek or call for help, but he could not. The half-man, half-wolf beast suddenly reached for the window frame, but stopped abruptly, staring down at the windowsill. The monster, distracted by thirteen pennies placed on the windowsill, became frustrated and angry, growling in confusion. Just as the boy could stand no more of the monster's presence, it turned and fled into the darkness of the Louisiana swamp. What does the 13 pennies mean? I'll get to that. Oh, okay. Sorry. There's been a long-standing connection of werewolf folklore and the people of France. The presence of a massive terrorizing wolf population being the catalyst to this for their history. Yeah, we already went through that. That is some pretty crazy history. But when they immigrated, they brought it with them. So, uh... The height of obsession with werewolves came in the 16th and 17th century as part of the European witch hunts. A number of uh, treatises on werewolves were written in France during 1595 and uh, 1615. Werewolves were cited in 1598, 1603, 1602, 1624, and finally, a vaude pastor in 1653 announced that werewolves were dumb and that it Anybody claiming that they had seen a werewolf was suffering from hysteria, and anyone who claimed they were a werewolf were suffering from mental anguish and should be helped. 
Well, I well, it's true. I'm mm. all on his side. Their healthy fear of wolves was totally valid it from was. the stories you read in our yeah. last episode. Like, you know what? There's a reason it didn't go away. Yeah. <laughs> uh, around 1650, belief in werewolves mostly started to fade away, uh, which is evidenced in Diderot's Encyclopedia, which... Uh, attributes reports of lycanthropy to a disorder of the brain. Huh. Although there were continuing reports of extraordinary wolf-like beasts, they were not considered werewolf, such as the beast of Gévaudin that we talked about before. Yep. But the French people, when they moved to the New World, brought all these stories with them. In Canada, uh, traditional tales about Lope Garrow are found in French-Canadian and European folklore. The loup garou is also called lycanthrope or werewolf. He is generally believed to be a person who can change into animal form, often as a wolf. In French-Canadian folklore, he is just as often, though, a dog, but can also take the form of a calf, small ox, pig, cat, or even an owl. Well, there you go. Um, in uh, the Canadian version... It's almost synonymous with uh, a cursed man who is often guilty of not being a good Christian. <laughs> For example, people who did not confess during Easter could be cursed to become werewolves. The spell could last for as long as 101 days, and it would take hold of the victim every evening. They were then forced to wander the countryside in animal form. Smell The spell might be broken if someone recognized the individual, well transformed, and could draw blood from the animal but neither person would be allowed to speak of the incident afterwards. Ooh. Now, if you think it's weird that the Canadians kept this tradition of stories about werewolves, when the, uh, when the French Canadians kicked all the, uh, all the Cajuns out and they moved on down to the southern part of North America... They made their stories, kept them going too, with a different name. The uh, Rogaru legend has been spread for many generations, either directly from French settlers to Louisiana or via the French-Canadian immigrants. In Cajun legends, the creature is said to prowl the swamps around Acadian and uh, the greater New Orleans and the sugarcane fields and woodlands of the region. Uh, is most often described as a creature with a human body and the head of a wolf or a dog. Often the storytelling has been to inspire fear and obedience. <laughs> Usually uh, by elders to Cajun children to convince them to behave. Uh, according to other variations, the beast will hunt down and kill Catholics who do not follow the rules of Lent. There are other common, you know, uh, interpretations. Uh, one that the uh, Rogaru uh, sucks its victim's blood, which then transfers its werewolfism to the victim. And it's just an endless chain of people suffering through turning each other into werewolves to get rid of their werewolf corpse. That's so weird. There's other stories where the Rogaru is, could be seen as a rabbit, or that it's even... Uh, brought about by a witch and that the witch herself turns into a wolf to curse people to be a werewolf but all of them have the same characteristics 
of only lasting 101 days. That's weird. That is weird. I read some more about this, and uh, I guess uh, people, Cajun people still today still use uh, the term Rogaroo, but more as like a state of being. Like if you if you can't sleep at night and you're having uh. fits and stuff like that and you just can't, you're like having a problem, you are battling the Rogaroo all night. Oh. <laughs> yeah. That's all I got for werewolves. So I have to ask, did the parenting technique work? Cause I don't know. I mean, it, it, I've got it some holds true to most, most of the Catholic uh, uh, upbringing I had. I mean, if, <laughs> if my mom and grandmother knew they could threaten me with werewolves, they totally would have. <laughs> so should I be putting 13 pennies on my windowsill so I don't turn yeah. into a dog? So it's 13 pennies or 13 beans. Beans? Yes. So the uh, werewolf in the Cajun version cannot count past the number 12. So if he comes up to your house to wreak havoc and turn you into a werewolf, he'll see the 13 beans or pennies on your windowsill. He'll get to 12 and then be stumped and be pissed. And he'll get obsessive about it until he can't take it anymore and he has to leave. Why is he counting things on my windowsill? I don't know. That's just, that's just the story they tell people to ward it away. I'm just so stumped. I, I don't know what the significance of 13 of it is, other than that apparently he can't count more than 12. I just, that has to be so stumped. Right? I mean, if you, if you, if you're like 13, I'm going to put 15 down just to be safe, just in case one gets knocked off the windowsill. Right? I right? guess, I mean, I guess it'd be okay. Anything over 12. Right? So put something over 12 on your windowsill. And I guess if a werewolf's going to come, he really likes to count to 12. So he's just going to come to your windowsill and make sure there's 12 there. And if there's not, he's just going to get really frustrated because he can't count past that point. <laughs> yep, that, that's exactly it. That's so weird. It is really weird. It's like a Sesame Street character. I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we'll be right back with Ashley's stories of people who sold their soul to the devil. A family-friendly affair. Woo! Welcome back. I'm gonna read a lot of stories and tales about selling soul to the devil. So lots of people through time have claimed to sell their soul to the devil as a reward for something they wanted to do. You know, play music, riches. Do, do you want to sell your soul to the devil for some no, riches? I'm no. good. I'll keep it. It's not worth it. Even even if you don't believe in the devil, is it really worth like mm -hmm. that? That to you, slim chance. Like for me, I'm like, Haha, no, because yeah, that's a exactly certain chance. Right, yeah. But even if you're like a little skeptical, be like, the devil's not real. I'm gonna do it anyway to prove a point. Why would you even risk that? Right? <laughs> Eternal damnation. Right? Just because you're petty. I just, I don't know. So a deal with the devil. It has also been called a pact with the devil, or the Fustine bargain. Sorry if I mispronounced that. Um, I guess. Fustine was one of the first recorded people, or popular recorded people, I should say, that sold his soul to the devil. Um, it's as well-being to many Christian traditions, according to traditional Christian belief, 
They had concerns about selling their souls to the devil once the witchcrafts started. And they also consider selling your soul to the devil as a pact between you and the devil or demons. And in popular culture, it's trading your soul for diabolical favors, which are going to be all different in all the different tales you hear. But normally it's staying young, having power, getting some money, and becoming famous. Because that always works for you. Right? Learn to play the guitar real well, Pa. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I don't... Kind of baffles me why people would want to sell their soul to the devil. But this all started with two stories I was reading in the Irish folklore. And then it just turned into, no, people aren't really doing this. No, people really do this. <laughs> so our first guy who actually claims he sold his soul to the devil is Christoph Hayesman. You know Christoph Hayesman? Yeah, right. Yeah, he's died in the 1700s. He didn't live very long. But uh he's a 17th century painter from Bavaria and he signed two packs to be a bounded son to the devil in 1668. And he died very not long after that, <laughs> so that did not work in his favor. Um in Furness, have you heard of this guy? No. So in Furness, it was born in 72, so I feel like I should have heard of him. Yeah. Well, I don't know who he is, so I didn't work in Furness. Um, he is a metal musician and cl claims that he sold his soul to the devil, and it's on his official website for in Furness Band. So Gol Golgoroth is the founder of Infernus, and he made a pact with the devil in 1992. Sure. And he worships Satan. Charming. So, Infernus and Gorgoroth, I don't think that's your Christian given name. Mm -hmm. I don't think that's what your mama named you. And obviously it didn't work, because I've never heard of Infernus. Right. Like, right. ever. So, good going there. <laughs> This is probably the most famous guy you guys have heard of selling your soul to the devil. Robert Johnson. He's a blues musician. And he was, when I was looking into this, he was the first person everybody mentioned. So he openly said that he sold his soul to the devil. He said that he met Satan at a crossroads, like a literal crossroads, and signed over his soul to play the blues and gain mastery of the guitar. So, in all those movies, like, Where Brother, Where Art Thou? Tommy. They're all based on Robert Johnson. That's crazy. Which is pretty cool. But, again, he sold his soul to the devil. Right. We're going to go and party back to 1770. What? And Gulipse Tartini, he is a violinist and composer. And he believed that... His Devil's Trail Santana was inspired by the devil appearing before him in his dream. And he thought it was such a hit that he said, I sold my soul to the devil, I guess. Because <laughs> it was so awesome. Jonathan Moulton was a general of the New Hampshire militia. And he agreed to sell his soul to the devil to have his boots filled with gold coins when he hung them by the fireplace. Sure. He made the deal, hung his boots by the fireplace, and never got any gold. Yeah, that's not surprising. And then 
it said that he went into damnation, which he probably did. Probably. You know. So the uh, selling your soul to the devil isn't like a new-ish thing, not in the 17th century thing. It was first recorded in 1570 yeah. in an Italian play. Mm. And it's like the oldest English I've ever seen in my life. So it says, Lou ye money so well. What a question is that? Do not many sell their souls to the demon all for ye money. Okay, then. And that is the first recording of selling your soul to the devil. <laughs> doesn't so, sound very right? entertaining. So I guess we could blame it on the Italians. <laughs> Typically. It's from the Italian play Bugbear. That's in a spicy meat, <laughs> Bugbears. <laughs> so do you want to hear some Irish tales of selling your soul to the devil? Sure, might as well. Right? This is The Lawyer and the Devil, which is my favorite <laughs> title ever. Any lawyers are listening right now, I feel like you should know why that title's hilarious. <laughs> this is from 1950. There was this man in at one time, and he had three sons, and he wanted to make something of them, but hadn't the money. So he sold himself to the devil to raise money to school the three boys, and he did. He made one a priest, ironic, the other a doctor, and the third one was a lawyer. The devil give him money to pay for their education. At the end of seven years, the devil showed up to claim the old man in his soul and take him down to hell. He had his three sons there, or one at a time in with him. So when the devil came to the priest, the priest began to pray and beg and appeal for the sparings for his father. And in the heel of the hunt, he got a few years more off for his father. When that was up, and the devil came again, the doctor was there, and he appealed for his sparings for his father and got them. When the devil came a third time to claim the old fellow, the lawyer was there, and the lawyer said to the devil, You've given sparings to my father twice already, and I know you can't be expected to do it again. But, as a last request, will you give him sparings while that butt of the candle is there? The candle was burning on the table. The devil said he would. It was only the butt of a candle, and wouldn't it be long? And at that, the lawyer picks up the butt of a candle and blows it out and puts it in his pocket. And that was that. The devil had to keep to his bargain and go without the old man, for the lawyer held on to the butt of a candle. Trust the lawyer to beat the devil. <laughs> so, if you mistakenly, after you heard about those famous people who sold the souls of the devil and they're all dead, but if those were inspiring to you, no, a lawyer can get you out of selling your soul to the devil. I'm sure, this isn't some sort of American folklore. No. Oh, no, making an Irish one. You can always tell these are old Irish tales because it's just the English is so funny on some of them. <laughs> Our last English tale, or Irish tale, are Coals on the Devil's Hearth by Henry Glassy. 
this man, he was very poor and he was, and it was getting very tight to live with his wife and family. So he sold himself to the devil. But the bargain was that he'd have to go with him at the end of a number of years. And then he got very rich and his family was revered. And the way it was when him and the devil made the bargain, the devil gave him a drum and a pair of drumsticks. He told him that every time he'd want money to go out and give a roll on the drum, when he wanted anything done, he'd do it for him. He went on the orders of the devil, but in the long run, he started to get very nervous and was afraid of the journey that he knew he'd have to go. The wife remarked him terribly frail and was in bad form. He never let on to her how they came to have the money or anything, and she knew nothing about the bargain that he had made with the devil. He wouldn't tell her what the cause was of the money, and she was still at him to tell her what was troubling him. In the long run, he told her, I made a deal with the devil, and this is where all our riches come from. She said, is there a plan to get rid of him? Well, what is it? I don't have a plan. Well, you told me that you had a drum that you notified him when he wanted anything. I have it, he says. Well, take out the drum now and give it a roll. When he comes, tell him you want churches and chapels built at once. So he went out and gave a roll on the drum and the devil came along. He says, well, I want you to do a thing, but whether you'll do it or not, I don't know. Would you put up churches and chapels here and there through the country? I will, of course, says the devil. So there were churches and chapels erected all night, and the people couldn't understand at all. At the end of the building, when him and the devil were parting, the devil says to him, let that be the last thing now that you'll ever ask me to do. When he came back to his wife, she saw all the buildings were up. He said he didn't know what was going to happen. And she says, there's one plan yet that'll get him to shut off forever. Get out the drum and give a roll on it and a good loud one. When he comes, tell him that you want him to do one last thing that you'll ever ask him to do. When he asks you what it is, tell him that you want him to make all lawyers honest men. <laughs> he went out with the drum, he gave a rattle, and in no time the devil appeared. Well, what do you want me to do now? You told me this was the last time we were talking, and you never asked me to do one more for you. Well, says the man, this is going to be the very last thing. What is it, says the devil? I want you to make all lawyers honest men. Ah, says the devil. Give me that drum. There's a woman at the back of this. If I've done what you want, there are times I wouldn't have a coal on my heart. And that's the end. <laughs> oh, man. Good old Irish.
Irish tales. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing like a lady to just make the devil give up and be like, nah, I'm done with this shit. Right? Represent, man. (laughs) Represent. We drove away the devil in, I don't know, 1750. (laughs) Well, that's all we have for you today, folks. This has been the Strange Shenanigans Podcast. You can find us on Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube under Strange Shenanigans. And you can find us on the Twitter and Tumblr under The Strange Show. Stay weird. <laughs>